Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With both a spoiler and spoiler-free analysis, there's something here for everyone. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Hey guys, welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today is a super special episode because not only are we talking about the prom, which I feel like is one of the most beloved episodes for pretty much every Buffy fan, um, but we have Leia back with us. She was with us back in, was it Lover's Walk the last time that you were here? Yes, Lover's Walk. But it's really fun to have you back with us, and I'm really glad that you chose this episode because I'm really excited to hear your thoughts specifically on some Juicy Vangel scenes. Yes, I love this episode. Um, Okay, and then this is also special for another reason because we have some news for you guys. Um, So we're going to be, as we transition into season four of Buffy, we're actually going to be getting rid of our spoiler section, which I know a lot of you have really been enjoying. And I'm a little bit sad that we're going to be no longer doing that, at least on a regular basis. I think there will be some episodes where it's like, okay, we're going to actually have a spoiler section for this one. Um, And we'll do like an end of a season recap. But um, we're going to be continuing with our every other week format. So you're going to be having Becoming Buffy Every other week and on those on the opposite weeks, Leia and I are actually going to be starting an angel podcast. Woo! We'll cheer for you guys. Have fun. <laughs> yeah, Tabby and I don't have the strength to do a podcast. And but don't worry, Leah and Tabby will be over for some choice episodes every once in a while. So you'll get double the love. Um, so yeah, even though you won't hear from Leah and Tabby every single week, you guys will have one week to hear a Buffy episode and then another week to hear an Angel episode, which I think is going to be so fun to walk with both shows side by side um, and kind of view them how a first-time viewer would be as they aired. So we're excited. The podcast is going to be called Investigating Angel, and the first episode actually dropped today. It's our welcome and introduction, and it kind of gives you guys just like a little bit of a taste on what you can expect from the podcast. So go ahead and check it out. It's available on all platforms. And um, I'm pretty sure that today we're planning on putting up the Instagram account and everything so you guys can go over there and like and follow our Instagram account and you'll get updates. And then um, keep your eyes peeled as well for our, I guess it's now annual end of the year spoiler section that we do live where you get to call in and we're going to be actually doing it for the prom and for both graduation days. Um, just because I figured a lot of like the banjo conversations that we're going to have in this episode kind of carry over to the next few episodes. So yeah, we look forward to seeing you guys there for that and we will let you know a date for that as soon as we have one. So a lot of stuff coming up. I'm excited. All right. So let's jump into the prom written by Marty Noxon, which I feel like this has Marty Noxon written all over it, um, directed by David Solomon and aired May 11th, 1999. So Sarah Michelle Geller has listed this as her favorite episode. She says, I love the prom. It stood for everything Buffy was about, the fact that she was so badly wanted to be part of the other kids' lives. 
Um, in a lot of ways, this episode feels like an ending. It's closing the door on her childhood. Mark Fields puts it really well. He says, inability to change is what freezes someone into childhood. It's the condition of a vampire, not of a person, which is what makes vampires such a perfect analogy for adolescence and growing up. And so I think that Buffy showing that she's growing and changing and maturing, even in how she responds to things in this episode and even how she has just like really embraced her calling and is now um, fully devoted to protecting and loving on her students and classmates while still desiring a normal life. I feel like we've kind of just seen both sides of her just beautifully marry in this episode. I did a little bit of research on uh, Hellhounds just because I was like, okay, this is like a really interesting um, monster of the week to choose for the prom. And it's interesting because in mythology, they're known as the guardians of graveyards and the underworld. And they're often seen as an omen of death. Um, And I think it's really fitting that they are the ones that Buffy ends up defeating, especially at the end of season three, when everyone's about to graduate, because it's almost like her giving freedom to her classmates, like both metaphorically and on a physical sense. Um, In this case, the Hellmouth is hell. And so you have the hellhounds being the guardians of the hellmouth and Buffy killing them is kind of symbolic of uh, giving freedom and allowing everybody to move on with the rest of their lives, just as she's been doing for past three seasons. But this is more of kind of like a symbolic thing. Um, and I, I just love the idea that the underworld or the hellmouth can no longer keep people there. They're now free to, to move forward with their lives. And that's because of Buffy. And I think that's especially symbolic because the very next scene is the whole beautiful scene with Jonathan and her classmates. So it's crazy that like we can now talk about the fact that Angel has his own show. Yes. Because that's I right. feel like <laughs> that's one of the main things that we really like ha- couldn't talk about. And so it's crazy to think about now, like, oh, people now know that Angel has his own show. I mean, obviously, we can't talk about Abbott's on the show (laughs) because that's still a spoiler. But it's just crazy because I feel like it, especially in season three, really, you see them change, not change, but prepare Angel, I Mm -hmm. guess, for his own show a lot. Yeah, I guess I should say that Angel has his own show. I'm like over here, like we're going to have an Angel podcast and people are like, what? Um, Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that's something that obviously he hasn't left the show quite yet, but I feel like even if you aren't aware that he has his own show, you're like, okay, something's happening. Like they're definitely gearing up for something. All right, so we have this scene. I feel like this episode in classic weed and form gives us everything that we want and then just like brutally takes it away because we have Buffy and Angel waking up, snuggling, cuddling each other's arms. And it's just like it's beautiful. Heart is happy. Yeah. It is beautiful. And I mean, even like they're fully clothed, you know, nothing happened, but they still are just so happy with each other. And it just makes my heart happy. It's a very like domestic scene, especially because they're talking about, oh, let's get some mirrors and drawers and. Yeah. I love that she brings the mirror thing in because I feel like that would be a normal conversation that they would actually have. But it also is a very clever, like, angels of vampire, angels of vampire, you know? Um, And then, of course, the beautiful moment is completely disrupted by the fact that Angel's bed is facing his front door where you can – which is just a sheet that you can pull back and there's sunlight that suddenly, like, covers it. He's facing it? it? Does he have a room? 
I thought have he doors. had a room like in a completely separate part of the mansion, but like yeah, he had a back room. Yeah, I thought so too. But like his bed is like directly across from where the door is, so I don't understand like the logistics of that. Yeah, I'm confused. Yeah. Also, he's in a freaking mansion, and he's like, "I'm gonna just put my entire living area in one room, right at the front." <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Well, and then I was cracking up because Buffy's like, after the prom, it'd be great to come back here and just be together. I could spend the night and stuff. And I'm just like, I am confused. Does Angel – when does Angel sleep? Does he sleep during the day or does he sleep at night? Because that makes no sense for them to come back and then – I don't know. Does Angel alter well, every time she schedule? comes back during the day, he's awake too. Well, he always looks like he's like – just woken up like you know he's like sleepily mm. rubbing his eyes like an earshot or whatever but then he's also like completely awake when joyce comes in so i feel like angel sleeps between the hours of like 7 a.m and like 3 like he gets that eight hours and then while she's people in school come and visit him after yeah or maybe yeah. he just doesn't sleep because he's a hero and he doesn't need sleep you know <laughs> He's a hero and doesn't need sleep. That's hilarious. Heroes don't need sleep. <laughs> they're always – they're sacrificing their needs for other people who need sleep. All right. So the entire time this conversation is going on, Angel does not look quite like himself. Like he just seems a little uneasy. The script even says that he looks uneasy with the turn the conversation's taking. It's almost like he's kind of holding her at arm's length a little bit. Um, and I think – I mean, this is very clearly like the episode right before this was choices with the whole conversation with the mayor. So it's very obvious that he's like taken a little bit more of what the mayor says to heart than I think Buffy has. Uh, so then Buffy almost scorches him. <laughs> and she's all like, oh, sorry, sorry. And I was like, Buffy, like you could kill your boyfriend. <laughs> like, girl, pay attention. I just wanted to mention the um, just the way the scene starts out. It's just like so tender. And he's just, like, watching her sleep. It's almost like a moment that's, like, that he doesn't have to think about these things that are on his mm -hmm. mind. And then as soon as she starts yeah. asking him the questions, it's like he almost snaps out of it. And it's like, oh, but wait, this is not, this is nice, but it can't, like, it can't be like this. And it's just, it's sad. I don't know. It's sad. That's a really good point. I think it's important to remember those moments because that shows Angel's true heart, like what he really wants. Exactly. Because he says some things in this episode that are really hard to hear. Um, and like, we'll talk about it, but even him saying like, I don't want my life to be with you. We all know that's not true. Like the fact that he's mm -hmm. gazing at her while she's sleeping, like she's what he wants, you know? Uh, so Anya's back. What in the world? I keep thinking like, oh, we've seen the last of this character and then she comes back and then she keeps having a new hair color each time too, which I have to say this hair color I feel like is my favorite. And then we have this whole dialogue. I wrote in my, I wrote in my notes. I was like, Anya, no, stay away from Xander. But honestly, that's how you know that like Anya's behind on a lot of things because she goes immediately for Xander. <laughs> She's unaware. <laughs> well yeah we'll give her the benefit of the doubt what's a good human i don't know maybe xander well i feel like i feel like anya went for xander because she was like ah you no one's gonna have asked you out to the prom so you're definitely like you're a shoe in i know you're gonna say yes because you're just as desperate <laughs> as i am <laughs> i mean hey she was correct <laughs> yeah she's not wrong but wait is there like any lead up to like anya going after xander like, the last time we see her no. is in Doppelgangland. 
Yeah. And then she's back and she just like beelines to Xander. That's what I was thinking. I was like, we've had nothing. I think the reason why she goes for Xander is because she knows Xander's the one who breaks Cordelia's heart. It's the only reason she knows of him. And so I think she knows, A, he's single, and B, she's like, he's the only guy I even know of at the school. I guess. But, like, if you're, like, wreaking vengeance on him, like, why would you choose him? Like, plotline-wise or, or, like, character decision-wise, it makes zero sense to me. Well, I think it also – I think it does kind of make sense because, like, even here you can tell, like, there's a complete, like, contradiction and Anya knows this. Like she's going, man, I should hate men and the vengeance, but then I'm mortal now and I want to go to the prom. And so she's wrestling with these two very different conflicting desires. And so I think Xander's yeah, but not a really with good Xander. I think he's a representation of that. He's everything she should hate. And yet she's like, I need someone to go to the prom. So she like needs him even as she hates him. I understand that idea, but we've had one interaction with them. You know? Yeah, I don't think they've had one conversation yeah. since before this. Yeah, yeah that's what's kind of weird to me too. Is like they don't even like mention like oh they have classes together or yeah. Anya's been hanging around. I mean, we kind of know that she has been, but we haven't seen her. So yeah. yeah, I've never really thought about it this way. It is very abrupt. Like, mm-hmm. and then well, and she talks about yeah. how she's like mortal and stuff, and I'm wondering how she like does she have pseudo parents to like sign off on things like how is this working i don't know I'm, i'd be very curious to know how it's Anya sunnydale like- high anybody can go there <laughs> no questions I guess asked. So. seriously maybe anya feels comfortable with xander because he knows about her demon side and so there's a part of her that's like i don't have to pretend around him like we know what this is but yeah i don't know I love the their back and forth though. It works so well. The men are evil. Will you go with me? And then Xander's like, one of us is very confused, and I honestly don't know which. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good comeback. Um, and then I love this like little bit of information dump that Anya has, where she's like, "You were unfaithful to Cordelia, so I took on the guise of a twelfth grader to tempt her." And almost like for those of you who have not tuned in before, this is who Anya is, kind of like as a quick rundown. I do remember the first time I watched this episode, I didn't remember Anya. Are we surprised? <laughs> yeah, no. But I do remember her coming up in this episode, and I was like, am I supposed to know this girl? Like, I was like, what on earth? And then it wasn't until, like, this specific dialogue where she was, like, talking about, like, Cordelia and all that that I was like, oh, it's this girl. It's because the hair. It's because her hair is no longer blonde. You're like, oh, there's a girl here. Oh, my God. I was just <laughs> going to say she was blonde before. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's what it is. The blonde hair is like a mask. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Leah's like, Buffy? What is Buffy doing here as a vengeance? <laughs> Every blonde girl is Buffy. <laughs> Every blonde girl literally looks like Buffy or like Darla. She's like, oh, Darla? Remember Darla? <laughs> <laughs> Only because, oh, well, I can't say that. All right, so then we have the scene with the gang all talking, and Oz is all, like, definitely judging Xander for his choice to go with Anya, but, like, being very kind about it. He's like, Anya, interesting choice. And Xander's like, choice is kind of a broad term for my situation. It's either Anya or the sock puppet of love for this boy. And I was like, ew, I just got that reference, and I'm not happy with it. Honestly, maybe it's, like, just the 90s, or I don't know, maybe I'm out of touch. But, like, I never understood the – like need to have a date to go to prom like i i didn't have a date i went with friends i thought it was so fun and everyone who had a date there besides like one couple looked like they were miserable so (laughs) i never understood it i always thought like if you don't have a date fine go with friends like and also like 
I feel like maybe it's different because I graduated in 2019, so very different. But, like, no one seemed to care. Yeah. I I went to two proms my senior year because um, my friends went to different schools. And one of them I went with all just girlfriends. We all went together. None of us had dates. And then I went with a date for the other one. And I had so much more fun without a date. It's also just, like, when you're not dating somebody. If you are dating somebody, I feel like that's different. But, like, when you're going with a date, it's so uncomfortable. Because it's just like pressure. It's like it's unless it's like a good friend. It's like it feels like an awkward first date when you're just like I don't know. And then everyone's around. That's what it feels like. It's like an awkward first date when everyone's around. It feels worse than a first date because, like, like you said, Tabby, like a first date is more personal. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Everyone's around watching you. Everyone's like watching you, and everyone's aware of the fact. I need to slow dance, and and then it's just I can't. I, I never understood it. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I think those expectations were like a product of the time that this episode yeah. or this show was at the time. Like, I feel like I remember it was like back in the day, it was like such a big deal to have like the one perfect prop moment and to have like a date and to like, you know, get dressed up and like have the corsages or whatever. And mm-hmm. I don't think it was very common for people to just go to prom with their friends. And I think that's like a newer thing, which. I agree. So much more fun. I never went to prom, so I can't speak on on any of that. I did shout out all my stuff senior year because I was like, no. But I think in TV shows and in media, especially for media, I, 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 even today too, like you're going to rarely see a show about teenagers in high school and someone's going to go, I'm just not going to go with anyone to the prom. Like it's an added layer of drama they're able to add in there. Um, but I think specifically in Buffy and in this episode, like it's all about feeling like an outcast. It's all about wanting to feel like you belong. And so the the sense of like, if someone comes with me to prom, it gives a sense of, oh, someone wants me to be there. I'm included. I'm seen. And so if someone shows up alone, there's almost this sense of like they're an outcast. Um, So I think that the show is just using it to represent something else, even though like you could totally go alone if you wanted to. And I mean, Cordelia technically goes alone to the prom and she rocks it and she's totally fine and is confident. I mean, Wesley shows up there later, but like it is possible. That's so true. Cordelia doesn't technically have a date. I never even like thought of that. She walks in alone just like Buffy and is like amazing. Yeah. All right. So then this scene. This is one of those scenes that I wish Chrissy was here because <laughs> if you guys remember Chrissy, she was back with us in Lover's Walk and in the spoiler section, we talked about this scene and Chrissy had some choice words to say about Joyce's conversation with Angel. So if you get the chance, go back and listen to it. Um, but Angel is walking around his house and he finds this little notebook that Buffy left and it says Buffy and Angel forever on it. And this is one of those moments that I'm like, oh yeah, she's a teenage girl. Like, it's so cute. Well, and I also feel like Buffy has so much responsibility and pressure on her all the time that it's like, there's still going to be little ways for her age is going to show through. Listen, I'm 28 years old, and I would write Leia and Angel forever (laughs) on a notebook if I could. So, (laughs) Leia's like, I still do that. What are you talking about? Is it just a teenage girl thing? I doodle. (laughs) No, I just – I love how this episode really leans into the humanity of Buffy because I feel like she has to sacrifice so much. I just love the reminders that we get that she's still a girl with superpowers. First and foremost, you know, 
that's, I think, what makes this show so special because everybody can relate with that feeling of of being an outcast and being left out. I mean, we can't relate with the superpowers part, but we can relate with all the other stuff. The scene is very conflicting to me because part of me wants to be like, I understand where Joyce is coming from. She's protecting her daughter. And I think that she sees how much their relationship can kind of cloud Buffy's judgment in some way. Um, But on the other hand, it's like, Joyce, Buffy (laughs) slays Stevens. She has given up her whole life to kind of serve the world. And it's like, let her learn this kind of pain on her own. Like, if Angel leaves, then he leaves. If they, if he has to watch Buffy grow old, that's really their choice. Like, especially now, like, Buffy's graduating. Like, she's an adult. She can make her own decision. And I really feel like Joyce interfering is, it's kind of demeaning to Buffy in a way. Because I feel like Buffy is old enough and mature enough to make her own choice. But I don't fault Joyce a ton for doing this because I do think she has the best of intentions. I just don't think it was the best decision. I, I mean, I talked about this. I don't remember. It probably was a spoiler section a while ago, but like kind of what Leah's saying, but like, I don't really care if she has good intentions. Did she talk to Buffy about the exact same conversation is my thing. Like she just went straight to Angel and it's like Buffy is 18 at this point whether or not she's in high school. But also Joyce is kind of new to having the ends of knowing that Buffy's a slayer. Um, even though it has been almost a season since she's found out, like we don't really see them talk about it much. It's more of like Joyce kind of checking in by being like, oh, like asking questions about it, but not like not to like the depth of being like, hey, like what are some things you've had to face? Like, she doesn't know anything big that Buffy's had to do. She just knows that she goes out and slays vampires, at least from what we've seen. So, like, I don't really feel like she really views Buffy in a self-sacrificing, like, I'm constantly struggling, I'm constantly having to put others before me type of way. And I really feel like that would help her see Buffy in a different light. Therefore, kind of what you said, like, allowing her to kind of, not that, dating angels in a mistake but it's like kind of allowing her to make her own mistakes or having the opportunity to decide what she wants to do and like if it's not gonna work out like it it won't work out you know like she's gonna figure that out yeah i think the scene like on one hand i see it more as about us joyce being like a mouthpiece to tell us what's coming to tell us that it's like final because it's like this is buffy's mom and it just makes it feel like, okay, something's coming. Um, Angel's really thinking about this now. And he's just been, like, convinced. Um, so I get it. And I get where Joyce is coming from. I feel like Joyce a lot in season three has been, like, a very big advocate for, oh, Buffy's, you know, these are these are all the options for the colleges that you could go to. This is what your future could be. Like, she's just a, the voice of, like, Buffy's future. So, of course, it was going to be her, I feel like, to, like, bring this up. I think what just kind of bothers me about it is kind of like what you guys said, where she goes to Angel and it's almost like, oh, the adults are talking now. But Mm -hmm. we all know that Buffy is, she's a child in some ways and not even a child. She's a teenager in some ways, but she's also very much an adult. 
she deals with like a lot of adult responsibilities and I just feel like Joyce should have spoken to Buffy about it as well and I think that's what bothers me it's just I just hate that it's like oh like the adults are having a conversation and now Angel's gonna make this decision and and it just it makes it seem like he's taking he's making the choice which I mean we'll get into that later I'm sure but um yeah I think that's what bothers me about the scene is is that part but I also get it you brought up that interesting point Leia when you talked about how they needed to have because Angel's has a lot of internal monologue and so obviously we have the dreams which kind of show where he's at but he needed someone to talk about this with and Joyce is the most logical person and so I think unfortunately this is another symptom of the show just using Joyce for whatever they need her to be in that moment. And I think it's really hard because Joyce has not exactly been mom of the year this season. There's been some like really like funky things that they've done with her, like gingerbread and stuff, which I know she's been under a spell, but we also haven't seen some like really good tender moments between Joyce and Buffy. So it's hard that they wrote this scene in for her, even though like we know it's to move the plot along. Um, I think it would have been a lot more impactful if we'd had a moment where Joyce and Buffy had this conversation versus Joyce and Angel. But I know why they did it because they needed Angel to have someone to talk to. But your other point, Leah, was really good because unfortunately it sets it up to make it look like Angel is making a decision that Buffy has no say in. And I think if Buffy had had the talk with Joyce and then her and Angel go and have this conversation, I feel like people would at least be a, more willing to accept that it was a mutual decision to, between Buffy and Angel and not just something that Angel was making. And although I don't agree with that take, like we'll talk about it because I think there's enough evidence, I think that we don't necessarily need to have seen this conversation between Joyce and Angel because I feel like the dreams and stuff gives us enough of an indication of what he's thinking, you know? So. Yeah. Like, I think the first scene of this episode, and like, and also choices, like the episode right before this, their last yes. scene together, the speech by the mayor, like, it's been leading up to, like, we know something's coming. I mean, I don't know, like, a first-time viewer, if they would see this. Obviously, we know because we know it's coming, but I feel like it's it was right. built up enough where we know what Angel's thinking, and all of these scenes are, like, telling us what he's thinking, so it's almost like you really just had to like really drive it home with Joyce. Like, was that necessary to do it this way? Maybe it was, I don't know. Maybe it's like to make it very clear that this is, this is like the real deal. Like it's permanent, but right. Yeah. It's also hard not to be sus about Joyce's motivations because we've seen like in um, choices, Joyce was all excited about Buffy getting the college courses. And I think Tabby, you mentioned it about how like we haven't, we don't know how much Joyce actually understands Buffy's sacrifice and calling and all that stuff. And so it's, it feels like even with her talking about, oh, you can go to Northwestern Buffy and Buffy like starting to tell her, hey, no, I can't. And then realizing, oh, mom, like mom's excited or mom just won't understand. She stops. Buffy's still trying to protect Joyce. And so I'm like, I struggle with the fact that like, I feel like Joyce might be, I say might because I do feel like she loves Buffy and is trying to act in Buffy's best interests, but I don't think Joyce fully understands Buffy. And so it's frustrating because this feels like once again, another aspect of her being like, oh, Buffy, this is just a phase. You know what I mean? Joyce doesn't get like the big, like the big picture. She only sees yeah. Buffy as like, this is my daughter and I want her to have a future, which is like very valid, but also like 
in the context of like this show and like Buffy as a character. Like, I feel like that's not, she's not just a girl. She's also like the vampire slayer. She's very much those two things at the same time. It's not one over the other, which is, I mean, that's Buffy's whole journey. Right. And I was kind of hoping that like at the beginning of season three, like with the conversations that they were having, that we would get to have more of Joyce accepting that this season. But unfortunately, there hasn't been that. And also like I was trying to think back at how many interactions Joyce and Angel have actually had together. And they obviously had the one in Angel. um, And then they had another one in like uh, when he was Angelus in like Surprise or Innocence. I think it was Innocence. And then uh, Lover's Walk. When she like finds out that he's there and like that was not a great in first impression because it was the whole let me in Joyce. And then 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 he's complimenting her hair when he's pretending to be Angelus and enemy. So I'm like, I don't feel like Joyce has even gotten to see the real angel either. I don't know. We can keep going on with this. But all that to say, I feel like this could have been done a little bit better. Um, but I understand why it's here. And I understand Joyce's intentions. Joyce says, and I this is like oof. She says, I know you care about her. I just hope you care enough, which I feel like is an unfair statement. <laughs> but <laughs> just gaslight him into breaking yeah. up with Buffy. It, and it, again, okay. So because we know, and we'll get into this in the conversation between Buffy and Angel, because we know Angel has his own series coming, a lot of this kind of feels like they had to write in stuff because they're trying to get Angel to leave. Um and it, so it's kind of like, okay, yes, we know this, but what does Buffy want? And that's the thing that I think I'm kind of like missing in this conversation is like, okay, yes, there's this, but what does Buffy want? And is it really so bad if this is how Buffy chooses to spend her life with Angel? Like what if Buffy doesn't want the other stuff as much as she wants Angel? I think it's it's kind of also to set up the conversation later with Buffy and Angel where he says, you know, she asks him, I, you know, I, I want my life to be with you. And he says, I don't. And mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure, like, in the script, um, doesn't it say something like, before Angel says that line, he's like, oh, this is the part where I have to make, like, the hard choice. Right? Because there's, like, a part with the so. conversation with Joyce where she's like, you know, um, I know you love her, but you're going to have to make, like, the hard choice when it comes down to it. And then I think that's directly linked to that one part where he goes, you know, I don't. Yeah, you're Mm -hmm. right. This is angel realizes that this is the moment what Joyce was talking about. He's going to have to make the hard decision. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Oof. Sucks. Yeah. And after Joyce says that, that line, it says angel pain takes this in. He knows she's right. Ugh. All right, so everyone's sitting in the library talking about uh, the prom in research mode. And so then we figure out that they don't really know much more about the mayor's ascension. They just know that he's going to turn into a demon and becoming the living embodiment of an immortal. Um, But other than that, they aren't really sure what else is going to happen. Also, I love how Cordelia is just like back with the gang and she's just following Wesley around everywhere. I will say one thing that makes me mad is that Cordelia, I know it's a plot device, but they always try to find a way to make her stick around and they always make it a guy. She's kind of frustrating. I kind of wish that they incorporated some way for her to be in the gang without it being about a man always. I know. I was really disappointed because 
Choices was setting up for some really good uh, Cordelia like stuff when they're talking about like, oh, her daddy lost all like and we kind of talk about that a little bit here, but like her daddy losing all his money and stuff. I'm like, oh my goodness, like this could be really good for Cordelia. Let's talk about this. And then it's like all kind of resolved by the end of this episode. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Well, there's that. And then in the midst of all this, Buffy's like, hey, like we should find you a dress, Willow, and go to April Fools. And Cordelia's like, don't go there because she doesn't want them to know that she is working there. And then we have this dream sequence. Oh my gosh. I wish I had had this wedding dress. Because <laughs> let me tell you, this it's dress so is beautiful. Gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It was designed by Vera Wang, I think. Uh yeah, it was. You're right. Dang. Was you it really? Yeah, it was designed we could by tell. Vera Wang. It is beautiful. Which Sarah Michelle Geller actually enlisted Vera Wang to design her wedding dress with Freddie Prince Jr., which I thought Aww. was really cool. Because she imagine she wears this dress. <laughs> oh my god! Paint it I want to wear this dress <laughs> for real. It's so pretty. Also, I know we talked about her boobs in Lovers Walk, but her boobs also look fantastic in this dress as well. Like they do that neckline is is nice though. All right. So, what do you guys? There's a couple of different people that have different interpretations on what the ending of this sequence means. What do you guys think it? Like, because we're all expecting Angel to be the one that combusts when they come outside the, the church doors, but it's Buffy who does. What do you guys think of this, is the significance of this? I think it's Angel's, it's like a manifestation of Angel's fear that it's not that he, um, he thinks that him and Buffy are bad for each other. He thinks that he's bad for Buffy and he's mm-hmm. dragging her down. So he's mm-hmm. not afraid for himself because he's, I feel like if Angel could be with her for the rest of her life he would do that without blinking and without even second guessing himself but I think it's he's afraid for her and he thinks that um he's bad for her so I think that's why she's the one that bursts into flames um because yeah that's why it's really sad yeah very well said Leah I agree well, I just like I just view it too as like <laughs> a life with Angel would be the downfall of Buffy, of Buffy's life. That's um, what Angel thinks. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I hundred percent agree. I think that this is important for people to keep in mind, and I think people conveniently forget this scene when they're thinking about the next conversation between Buffy and Angel. They're like, "Oh my gosh, Angel's being selfish, and he's making these decisions for Buffy and stuff like that." Um, and I think at the end of the day, like him choosing to break up with her is not for selfish selfish reasons, regardless of whether he did it well or not. I think him grabbing his heart at the end of the sequence is indicative of showing how her death is synonymous with him being staked through the heart. Like it's like it would be so painful for him. And I think that it is completely valid to be like Angel feels like it would be better for him to break up with Buffy than for him to have to deal with the pain of possibly being the reason why she doesn't have a fulfilling life or why she doesn't have, um, you know, whatever it is. Like, I think that he is being unselfish in this moment and he's making that decision for himself. And I think that's really important to, to remember. But oh my gosh, the first time I saw this, I literally like screamed and jumped up and down like where I was sitting because I was like, oh, we get to see like a wedding day sequence, even if it's just a dream sequence. It's like, they literally gave us everything in this episode. <laughs> and then they take it all away. 
Yeah, and then we're here in the sewers. Let's see, we go from the church, pretty Vera Wang dress, to the sewers. <laughs> uh, okay, this conversation. I do want to point out that there's very, very clear parallels, and I know we talked about this in the spoiler section for I Only Have Eyes for You, where there's very much a very clear parallel between what um, the two, the ghosts were saying, and then Buffy and Angel, where Buffy... Uh, says to Angel back in uh, I Only Advise for You, Buffy says, then tell me you don't love me. And then when it cuts to 1955, James says, say it. Miss Newman says, is this what you need to hear? Will that help? I don't. And then in the prom, Buffy says, I want my life to be with you. And Angel says, I don't. And I think, again, very clear parallels because I think we can all easily see that Angel's not saying that because that's actually what he wants, but he's saying that because it's what he believes is what's best in that moment for himself um, and for the rest of Buffy's life. Well, I I didn't I never viewed it as he was saying it as a way to get her to get over him faster. Or like, you know, like when people do that in television, it annoys me so much. I'm like, mm-hmm. this is so annoying. Yeah. I have certain- to wound you so that you'll go oh, away. Gosh. And, and no, I know, literally so I I can't do it. Like like there are certain like tropes, not tropes, but like certain things that like cliches i guess cliches yeah and i just can't stand and that's one of them that one and just miscommunication that could easily be fixed by one situation like miss the laziest yes but like miscommunication like can work if like if it's like a big enough thing that really drives their inner dialogue like um bridgerton season two makes sense to me because i was like everything was deterring them away from each other so i was like you know what this makes sense for the time this makes sense for each character Sure. Was I a little bit frustrated because I'm like, oh my gosh, just kiss? Yes. But like, that's what they're doing. <laughs> but when it's like small things yeah. where one situation can be fixed, um, but <laughs> I never viewed his I don't line to be like that specifically. I always viewed it as he doesn't want Buffy to be with him. That's exactly Same. the type of thought that I had. Agreed. I kind of always viewed it as he doesn't want Buffy to be with him because he feels like it'll waste her life. So when she asks, like, oh, like, you know, I want to be with you, all this stuff. And he says, I don't. It's because he's like, I don't want you wasting your life. Yeah, that's what I said. Right? I think, Leah, you're talking about, like, a little bit after where he says it doesn't mean that I don't. And then she cuts him off, right? Yeah. That's what you're referring to. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a scene right after it. That's a really interesting distinction. Um, And I think that's so important. And I think that makes all the difference in how you interpret this scene. Because so many people interpret it as him saying, I don't, as in he's just trying to wound her. And so they're like, he's making a decision for her. No, Angel's making a decision for himself. So I watched Passion of the Nerds analysis because I usually do. And I actually don't really agree with a lot of what he said about this. I don't feel like he was very fair to Angel. Um, But he says that he thinks that Angel's questioning Buffy's thinking of the future is out of character because he says that um, she semi broke up with him in Lover's Walk and then needed a break in enemies. So he's like, it feels like Buffy has thought about the future. So then it's funny because Passion of the Nerd, I feel like he got so close because he was like, he was like, Buffy's thought about the future. So this seems out of character for Angel to be saying, oh my gosh, you haven't thought about the future. So therefore, I'm going to make that decision for you. And I'm like, well, maybe it's because. Buffy, this is what she actually wants. <laughs> well, but also, you know like, what I mean? speaking from someone who was in a relationship where it was like, it could have ended at any moment. Um, like, sometimes, even though you are aware of the fact that you don't have a future, you 
like, and you've thought about it and you're aware of it, you will still cling. Like, you will still cling. You will still fight. Even though you know there isn't a future, it's like you just don't even want to accept that reality. And we've never actually seen Buffy fully leave Angel. Like, yes, they've taken a break. Yes, she's walked away, all this stuff, but never a cutting out no more in the future type of thing. I only saw her attempts at like, I saw like the few times that she's needed a break in the season. I always saw it as her struggling to come to terms with what happened in season two. And like Angel's back now. And do we, you know, get back together? Do we not get back together? That was in Lover's Walk. Um, so I think that's where like that was coming from from her. And then in Enemies, it was, you know, after that whole thing happened. So I don't think it was ever, I mean, I think Buffy's aware subconsciously because she, you know, obviously after this, she gets it, like she understands, but I don't think it was ever a thought in her mind where she was just like, no, like this is not going to work long-term. I think for her, it was always just, she was trying to get past all of the stuff they had already been through, especially like Mm -hmm. from the Angelus stuff and trying to figure out how she feels for him still and if she should act on it, etc. So I never saw it as as like uh, Buffy's been thinking about this and now Angel's, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. No, I 100% agree. And I we talked about this, but like even the the thing that she says in Enemies where she says, you know, I, I just need a little bit of time. He says, you see my girl. And she says, always, you know, I think that it's important to recognize that Buffy is um, also trying to figure so much out about herself in season three, where season two, I mean, she's always trying to figure out aspects of herself, but season three, she's, she's wrestling with what kind of slayer she's going to become, but also faith, who is a representation of all of her possible suppressed desires and what she could become. And so I think Buffy's constantly taking breaks from Angel is not so much a reflection of him, but it's sometimes a reflection of I need to figure myself out and figure out what it is exactly that's going on with me and figure out if even like you bring out the good or the bad in me. Like it's so hard because you have to often have to suss out the metaphorical from the physical of what's happening in the episode. But I think on both ends, it's never a, okay, I'm going to break up with you because I think you're bad for me. It's like, I need to figure myself out. Like Buffy's always making these choices for herself. And I think that's what Angel's doing here for himself now. We've never seen Angel do this. And so it's interesting that no one ever makes the opposite complaint of like, oh, Buffy's making taking the choice away from Angel. And like, no, we all agree that what Buffy's doing is for herself. So I think that same argument could be made here for Angel in this moment. But they're also constantly fighting outside demons outside forces and then having time to have to work on their relationship as well and when they're in such a a not weird but just a very like tender difficult spot in their relationship yes it's very vulnerable and so like i just feel like they even though it's been an entire year we've barely seen them have enough time to really process a lot of it like they're still kind of working through he's working through his identity issues which is all fair um She's working through just like coming of age, but then also like faith and and parts of herself as well. Like season three is like one of the major themes is identity. Um, and everyone's really struggling with it in season three, like and being seen a lot of their shadow selves and Buffy seeing a lot of herself in faith. I think that, that a lot of darkness that she's seeing in herself, aka through faith, I think might be bringing up a lot of stuff that she faced in season two. And 
unfortunately, Angel represents a lot of that. And so she's scared to kind of fully release herself into her relationship with Angel again. And so I think there are a lot of, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of characters, there are a lot of movies that I really feel like people who don't understand TV characters, movies, and or reading the subtext are just not going to ever understand. And I really feel like Bangel's one yeah. of those couples because I'm like, yep. you have to understand the people. You have to understand what the framing is telling us, what the story is telling us, mm-hmm. what the eyes are telling us, like everything that's been going on, like what the outside sources are telling us. And that Bangel is a product of that. No, I was just going to say that's so true. And I, I think about this like really often. Um, as I'm rewatching, I always kind of, it always kind of blows my mind where Bangel starts and where they finish. Like the journey of Bangel is very much a journey. Like if you saw a scene from like their first meeting versus their last, what, like basically what I mean is like, if you see a scene with them in season two versus season three and beyond, like, you would think that how, like, how the heck did they get there? You know what I mean? But it all makes sense if you watch the journey and you have to, like, pay attention to the journey in order to, like, get it. So kind of like you said, like, it's not, it's something you have to, like, pay attention to. Um, And it's really interesting because you really Mm -hmm. see them, like, evolve as people and in their relationship. But it's a very, like, big change. But it also is, like, you go through the steps. Like, I don't know. I just always find that really interesting. Mm-hmm. Every time I rewatch, I love the journey. And I feel like a lot of people write off Bangel because they think, oh, it just happened so quickly. And, you know, there's no substance and I don't know what and this and that. And it's like, but, but there is like, you also they have go to through. get the characters as well. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's their stories, but also the individuals. Um, they have to draw me in. I have to understand why it is things keep happening. Like Sarah said, it's like there's drama or not drama, but there's a lot of stuff deteriorating their relationship, conflict, but like conflict, yeah. but everything makes sense for the characters. So like mm-hmm. that's what makes it interesting. That's what makes it work. And you have to like it as a viewer, we have to do the work as viewers is what I'm trying to say. Like I can't just sit here and like, especially with a show like Buffy, I can't just sit here and just there's certain types of television for that, right? You watch stuff like Gossip Girl and you're like, I don't really have to do a lot of work here. <laughs> like it's, it's doing yeah. it all for me. Uh, a little too much, but it's doing it for me. Whereas like like Buffy and other shows, it's like I have to sit here and I, I love shows that, that make me go to work when I'm watching it. Stuff that I can't really binge as much because like I have to sit here and analyze and I have to like pay attention. And then it makes it so much more rewarding and it makes the relationships a lot more and depth and yeah and especially with a show like this every time you watch it you get something something new out of it Mm -hmm. every single time it's crazy yeah and i think what you're talking about just like your example tabby about bridgerton season two there's internal conflict and there's external conflict and the best kind of conflict is typically external mixed with a little bit of internal Mm -hmm. you don't want all your conflict to just be internal because especially 
um, that's how you get miscommunication tropes. Mm -hmm. You want it there Mm -hmm. to be something outside that is preventing them because then it pushes your characters to have to actually express what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, And it actually makes it more realistic for why they can't be together. Obviously, they're still going to do the internal work while you're going along, but it's not just that. And so I think with Buffy and Angel, it's easy on kind of like the flip side, it's easy for people to look at just the external stuff that's happening and forget that there is internal happening. Um, the external is what makes their story so good because it's like they can't be together because he is an immortal vampire who could lose his soul. That's the external conflict. But what a lot of people miss is the internal stuff of what Buffy is going through and changing and growing but also what Angel is going through. And I feel like that's even easier for people to miss. Um, in The Mayor and Choices is talking about Angel's greater purpose. And that's something that has been thrown around for Angel since amends. And it's something that I think Angel is wrestling with apart from his whole thing with Buffy. I think we've been seeing Angel recognizing that he needs to atone for and that there's things that he can accomplish and needs to accomplish and that he can't do that here with Buffy. Um, at least at this moment, I think that um, Buffy has proven that if she needs to, she will break up with him or kill him or whatever if she needs to, but she's choosing to be with him. But I think Angel feels like he needs to be worthy of her. And so I think he feels like, and that's where we're leading to with Angel, the series is he, he needs to figure out his greater purpose in life before he feels like he can be worthy of her. So that's my speech. Agreed. I personally think Buffy and Angel could have lasted if the writers wanted them to. <laughs> I I kind of agree. Um, before we move on to the next scene, I wanted to talk about the music of this scene. Um, I think we have all mentioned before how we absolutely love Christoph Beck's theme for Buffy and Angel. Um, and we've talked about how their theme has evolved even since season two, which I think is just brilliant. Christoph Beck is the master of minimalistic themes which I think is why it's so memorable. Um, and in Music, Sound, and Silence, I won't read it because it's kind of – it's a lot in in-depth, but they talk about how music moves us, whether that's through um, what making us want to cry, making us want to get up and dance, tap our feet, go to war, whatever it is. Um, and that's called mimetic participation. And I think it's really important for people to remember that all music is manipulative. And I don't mean this as like, oh, it's manipulative, like really bad. Um, I mean manipulative in the sense that it primes us and it leads us where we need to go. And it tells a story. Good music tells a story with the instruments and notes that it uses. And it helps guide us to the emotions and the feelings that we're supposed to feel um, in the moment. And so with that in mind, I'm going to read this quote from Music, Sound, and Silence about this specific moment and this theme with Buffy and Angel. And just a warning, this is kind of a long quote. It's a little wordy, but it's really, really good. Like many themes used in Buffy, this one is simple and unobtrusive, a spare two-part texture of melody and accompaniment on an acoustic piano the melancholy of the minor mode is juxtaposed with the optimism of the major mode, with each phrase beginning in E minor and concluding in C major, and then with a final tag in E minor. The major is, however, tinged with a hint of instability in the form of a harmonic ninth. On each C major arrival, the listener is encouraged to expect a degree of harmonic and metric stability on the third bar of each phrase, but this subtle dissonance in a context nearly devoid of any other dissonance keeps the music from stalling by denying the establishment of complete stability. 
When the theme abruptly closes with a return to E minor, the hopeful associations of C major are denied. The music tells us that this couple cannot escape its melancholy doom. Because the theme is simple and quiet, its effect is subtle. However, in addition to exterior associations, we also feel this music through mimetic participation. The arpeggiations of the accompaniment invites us to move in concert with it, not to the point of actual movement, but at least to feel a vicarious exertion that is congruent with it. The changing states of the melody, its forward motion, similarly invites us to exert vicariously and covertly as if moving, then pausing and holding when it reaches its sustained notes in the third bar of each phrase. This is why... The passage not only sounds beautiful, but also feels beautiful. A little instability, a little delayed fulfillment of our expectations, a little prolongation of desire, and when the final melodic pitch of E changes context from the more optimistic C major to the more nostalgic E minor, we take part in this metamorphosis. So very wordy. That's a lot of music jargon, but I really love how Christoph Beck put in both hope and longing and a little bit of sorrow, a little bit of joy into the music. And you can feel that because music moves us and it helps us feel what they're feeling in that moment. And in that moment when Angel says, I don't to Buffy, and then she says, is this really happening? And the music kind of really like comes in. We understand 100% what Buffy is feeling, not just because of the actors and the words and stuff, but because the music tells us and shows us and guides us through how to feel. And I think that is just beautiful storytelling right there. Honestly, Buffy and Angel's breakup scene is probably one of the best breakup scenes I've ever seen on TV. Just everything, the music, the acting, the dialogue, like it's just so... I don't know. It's very like, it just sweeps you right into it. Like you can't help like who hasn't had a breakup like that, you know? And it's like, I don't know. It's just very beautiful. And it's no surprise. Like, I'm pretty sure this is the scene where um, Sarah Michelle Geller had to like, they had to like shut down the set for a little bit. Um, so she could like, yeah, the next one when she's talking to Willow and she's sobbing. Yeah. That's the scene that they had to shut down the set. That's oh, why okay. it's so moving because she's actually crying. Oh my God. Yeah. It's the one so where she's devastating. sobbing on the bed. She's so good. Yep. And then we see again the hell dogs, hellhounds, whatever. I I just have to give a shout out to Willow. I know we've been talking about her a lot the past couple episodes, but I feel like she's really stepped up as a friend in the past couple of episodes. Um, and so this moment and this moment feels a lot like um that moment in innocence when Buffy comes back to her house after having that conversation with Angel and just sobs on the bed. Yeah. Willow's a great friend this episode as well. She's been really killing it the past few episodes. I wonder how much of that was like Allison Hannigan even just like trying to comfort Sarah too. Like well, being like, oh, I definitely think they cry. both go hand in hand. Like it probably was like, you know, Willow, comfort your friend. But then it's also like you have someone you've worked with for three years crying in front of you. Like, of course you're going to feel. Like a sense yeah. of kind of comfort. Uh, I can't. I can't say it without like wanting to cry myself when she says, "Oh, I think horrible is still coming. Right now, it's worse. Right now, I'm just trying to keep from dying. Like I can't take it at that moment when she just like completely breaks and is sobbing and just like holds Willow and says, "I can't breathe, Will. I feel like I can't breathe. I. I think." I, I mean, I, maybe I shouldn't speak for everybody, but I've de- I've been there. Oh gosh, no that that yeah. feeling. No, after a like a breakup, breakup. I've I've oh said that goodness. exact phrasing. I feel like it I can't breathe. It feels like you're dying. 
No, it's it like, like it feels like your insides are like caving in. Like the, like I don't think I've ever cried as hard as I did after a breakup. And it, it's like that crying where like like you feel like you can't get deeper. It just keeps getting deeper and deeper, and you're like, I can't stop. <laughs> like it hurts. Like hurts. It you. really does feel like you can't breathe. Yeah. Like no, physically. Seriously. Yep. Like it's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. I really felt that line. And I, I feel like that's something that people often forget when they see Buffy in so much pain over Angel is like that's what it feels like to truly love someone and to truly lose them and for um and I think we forget that she is just a girl like I mean I, that's not to say that I wouldn't feel those same things as a you know a 31 year old girl but like just that feeling of like loving so freely for the first time and so purely I mean your first relationship especially, you haven't been jaded. You don't know what heartbreak feels like. So you just kind of throw your whole being into it. And to have that lost, it's just there's a pain unlike anything else. Your you first feel. love is so unique in the fact that, like you said, Sarah, like like you've never been hurt before. You genuinely love so innocently, um, which I feel like your first relationship, your first love really paves how you view love so much after that, depending on how you're treated. Mm-hmm. And it's because like you're so innocent to it. Like somebody, if someone screws you over so much or just messes with your brain in your first relationship, like it really kind of screws you a ton. Um, not to say that like you're always like that. You can really definitely like work on it and fix it, but it's like it really takes a toll, you know? And I think with Buffy and Angel, especially, they've already gone through major heartbreak before, both of them. You know, in season two, I mean, that was that was like a breakup for Buffy in season two, just as much as this one is, except this one is like, it's like, again, like it's even more intense because it's like they've already she's already gone through this. She already knows how this feels. And now this is like, ugh, it's like this is this is being done by like choice. And it's not because like in season two, it was, you know out of everyone's control and it was like very much so like a heartbreak that you can like help but this is like even worse because it's like oh my god like he broke up with me and she feels it so much more deeply this poor girl yeah i 100 percent agree like it's not to take away from the pain that buffy felt in becoming part two because obviously like you don't want to have to stab your boyfriend and send them to hell but i think there's also a piece in it as like at least I did it for the right thing. There, and I saved the world. And I also didn't have a choice in it. Like I had something I had to do. Well, and it's also like now they can be together and they can be around each other and he's leaving. And right, so yeah, he's there, choosing to go. There is that added yes. layer of like, oh my gosh, I would have fought. You know, he did fight through hell. And it's like Buffy went through her own hell. And it's like, I did all this just to see you again, only for you to just want to leave. Yeah. And mm-hmm. knowing that like they're just out of reach. Like if you wanted to, you could just reach out, go go see them, go touch them, but you can't ever fully have them. I feel like almost having the Band-Aid ripped off and being like, well, I, he's in hell. I can never see him again is different than being like, they're going to live in this world, but we can't be together. Like that's just a special kind of pain. All right, so at April Fools, Xander walks by yet again and sees Cordelia with the same dress. And then it is let slip that Cordelia actually works there. And Xander, to his credit, looks like sufficiently shocked and is actually 
pretty compassionate. And I won't say pretty compassionate, but at least he doesn't berate her further. Um, Cordelia says, I have nothing, no dresses, no cell phone, no car. Everything got taken away because daddy made a little mistake on his taxes for the last 12 years. Um, there's actually a really fun theory that I like to make headcanon that her dad was a part of the frat boys from the penis monster episode. And that's why he lost all his money. Um, which I kind of like to think about because it would like kind of correspond right around there. I like that. Head <laughs> Could cannon. you imagine? Yeah. I know, right? Like her dad went to Sunnydale University or whatever that university is and was like, what is that monster called? I can never remember. It's the, um, it's not some assembly required. What is the episode? The reptile boy. Yeah. Reptile boy. Makina. Just such a clever, clever like line for saying like this, pe- these people are snakes. <laughs> He's a reptile boy. Yeah. He's a snake. He's a snake. <laughs> um, the script says Xander doesn't know how to respond. He tries to put as much sympathetic gravity as he can into, um, wow. Wait, is that what he says? Um, wow. Yes. <laughs> in the script. Does Jeez, he actually Xander. say that in the episode? Because then Cordelia keeps going. She like, talks about how you can go run and tell all your friends that she had to get a lousy prom dress on layaway, how she has to wear a name tag. Um, and then we have the hellhound that jumps in and Xander, to his credit, runs up to go fight the hellhound. And the hellhound pushes him away and runs for the guy in formal wear. And then we cut to the library where... Xander and Cordelia have the tape and they're showing it to the rest of the gang. And Buffy is just quiet in the corner, just completely heartbroken. I her the contrast, Sarah Michelle Geller is just phenomenal. The contrast between her in this scene versus how she was in the last library scene is just night and day. And it's very, very sad. Cordelia makes the really clever distinction that they are going after people with excellent form wear and very smooth lines. Then they see Tucker in the corner and we're like, hey, that's Tucker Wells. And then Xander jumps in and actually stands up for Cordelia covers for her and talks about how he ran into her at the store because she was shopping, not because she was actually working there. Wow. One small, kind, decent gesture. Good job, Xander. You know, I think this episode really just showcases kind of the best of like every single character. That's why I love it so much. I agree. Everyone gets their moment to shine, like even Xander. Yes. And what he does for her later on is like, it's, it's great. Like, it's, it's really, really, really nice. Like very kind thing to do. Mark Fields talks about how he feels like this episode could have been called amends as well, because he feels like it's the episode where everyone just kind of makes their peace with everyone. And it just feels really, really good. Um, So Willow hacks into Tucker's email and then finds out that he sent a message to a kid saying the Sunnydale High School lemmings have no idea what waits. Their big night will be their last night. They realize that the prom is going to be – they're going to be attacked by those hellhounds. And they're like, oh, okay, well, I guess we're not going to have a prom. And Buffy has her big speech, says, don't you dare. You guys are going to have a prom, the kind of prom everyone should have. I will give you all a nice, fun, normal evening if I have to kill every single person on the face of the earth to do it. And I just want to point out, this is why earshot is so incredibly important because earshot um, not that Buffy wasn't empathetic before. We've talked before about how her greatest asset is the fact that she cares so deeply for people. But I think her ability to be able to listen in to everyone else's thoughts 
helped her realize that everyone else is wrestling with feeling alone and left out just as she is, even though her situation may be unique and she may never have the opportunity to have a nice normal evening, she can still understand like have a shared common experience with everyone and that everyone is desiring the same thing as she does. And so I think in this moment, it's so selfless of her to be like, I can't have that. So I'm going to make it, make sure that you guys do. And I love her for that. I think that's just, that's Buffy. That's Buffy. Like she literally will sacrifice, like even if she's going through literal heartbreak and all this stuff, she's like, well, make sure you guys have fun. Yeah. Like, oh. She almost like forces them. She's like, have a nice time in the next scene. <laughs> All right. So then Buffy gives orders, tell Wesley to go check out his house. And then she's like, you can take Cordelia. And I was like, oh, no, they're going to get trapped in a basement and have a passionate kiss. I've seen this before. Ugh. Don't do it. No. <laughs> Wesley's like, well, that's your plan. If you're going to force me, then gosh, I guess I better go. Come on, Cordelia. You got to come with me. Like – Force my hand, why don't you? Also, I noticed that Cordelia does not snap at Buffy like she did with Giles before, where she was like, um, I believe Wesley was talking. She was all like, oh, yes, excellent, excellent. What I'm going to say is I think it's because ultimately Cordelia respects yeah, Buffy. Yeah, I think she does. I think you're right. Buffy says that they eat brains, so then just being so smart, she decides to go to the meatpacking plant to find out who it is that he they're selling the brains to. Sees Angel. And I, at first, I was kind of like, what is the significance of having this random scene in the episode? Like, it just kind of felt like it was kind of, you know, like out of nowhere. But I think, like, everyone can understand and relate with that moment of seeing the person that you care about that you broke up with for the first time after a breakup. And I think that it's just very significant that they put this in there. All I can say is, anytime I see a scene like this, all that goes through my mind is the story of us by Taylor Swift, that song, because it perfectly shows like that feeling of like you meet, like you're around the first, per- like the person. <laughs> what am I saying right now? You're around the person that you care about so much, but for the first time, you're not like together. And so it's like you're having all these strong emotions and you like you really want to know how they're feeling and how. Like, it's just like, it's so confusing. And you're like, it's such an out of body experience. And I feel like I actually like that this scene is in here because I feel like it's very normal. Like, obviously, he's getting blooded. (laughs) So normal. Take that aspect (laughs) out of it. But like seeing your ex out in public and like not knowing what to do, what to say, that's normal. I agree. And I think this like, the scene was there, obviously, to like, it's probably what pushed Angel to like decide to go to the prom later on because he's like, yeah, oh, you're going true. by yourself. Like you're still going. I think that's, I don't know, the scene is great. It's so relatable. It's, there's so much tension. There's nothing worse than breaking up with someone and then seeing them and being like, I have, I know you so well. I have all this useless information now because I spent so much of my time trying to get to know you, your likes, your interests, your dislikes, what you know makes you tick. It's so weird. And, it's like, and you have to act like strangers. It's, it's so the weird. It's strangest thing. It's very, very odd. I mean, I think like Angel and Buffy are mature enough to not act like strangers around each other. I'm like, guys, just, oh. when people see each other, I'm going to just be normal. You know this person. You can just be like, hey, like, how's your mom? Like, you know, like, you don't have to be like, all cold. Yeah. I don't think they can act any other way. I think there's always going to be that. Yeah. I, yeah. I thought of you, mm-hmm. Tabby, when she says, could we not 
and she puts up her hand. She does that when she's in like extreme pain. Hand she of pain. This. Mm-hmm. Like she's trying to guard it's herself. It's too much for her. She mm-hmm. says, truth is when I think about us, I have a tendency to go sort of catatonic and I can't do that right now. I've got to stop a crazy person from pulling a carry at the prom. She's so strong. I, I'm just going to be gushing about Buffy for the rest of this episode. Just a forewarning, guys, because she's just – she's my hero, man. All right. So then we have that quick moment in the dress shop where Cordelia really, really wants the dress and someone paid for the dress and we don't know who it is yet. Um, and then we're in the library and everyone's like, sorry, Buffy, we didn't come up with any information and um, Buffy's like, that's okay. I did. I know what I'm going to do. You guys should still go to the prom. <laughs> Have a nice time. And then Giles is like, okay, this is that conversation I was referring to earlier. And he says, so Angel's not taking you, is he? And she says, he's leaving me. I love how he just reads yes. her so well. Like he just he just knows exactly what's going yeah. on. I mean, I – Giles is another character that I just – he's fantastic and so strong. He he says, I'm so sorry, Buffy. I don't really know what to say. It's my understanding that this is the sort of thing that requires ice cream of some kind. It's so sweet that he's willing <laughs> to put God. aside – like, Giles probably still has a lot of conflicted feelings towards yes. Angel. And I wonder yes. if in this moment he feels maybe – Relief. Relief. Um. Yeah, because I think I mean, for me personally, I don't know about you guys, your interpretation of it. I think that Giles obviously cares a lot about Buffy and doesn't want her to be in pain. But I think he almost has um, respect for Angel for choosing to do this for kind of ripping off the Mm -hmm. bandaid. And I think that Mm -hmm. um, it's like evident at the end of the episode, too. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. But yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I yeah. think that Giles like feels for Buffy so deeply, but at the same time, he's yes. just kind of like a little bit relieved that this is kind of where it was going to end. Um, but it's just beautiful that he's willing to put aside that feeling that he has probably in order to just be there for her. And, you know, it's so cute. Like, oh, this, you know, we'll get ice cream after. Like, it's just so sweet. No, I actually totally agree because like even the look that Giles gives her when she walks away, it says Giles watching her go concerned, but I felt like the way that Tony had decided to interpret that was he had you could see so many emotions flicker across his face. It's concern, relief. It's he's probably thinking, "Oh, okay, because of everything with Jenny, but at the same time there's also that he loves Buffy so much." So, yeah. So in the gym, everyone is all dressed very nice. We see Xander and Anya coming in. Xander's hilarious. His his arm is so limp the entire time. Like he's just like trying to just stay as far away from Anya as he can. Well, she's like chatting so much and he's just like, oh. Sweet, sweet karma for Xander. I feel like he's normally that person to Cordelia. Uh-huh. So funny. Anya's like, and so she whisked her husband's head would explode, which was great, except we were standing right there three feet away from him at the time. What a mess. Of course, and Xander's just like, ah. <laughs> uh, and then Wesley and Giles, so funny. You can kind of tell like they've warmed up to each other. They're like bonding a little bit with their like shared experience of Watcher Academy or whatever. His like um, insult to him is cinched in my oh, brain. The, um, like He's like, and you have <laughs> the emotion of a blueberry ever- scone. <laughs> <laughs> just – Get on with it. He's like, stop (laughs) fluttering about and have at it. (laughs) 
the emotional maturity of a blueberry scone. What a good insult. Oh my gosh. And then, you know, Cordelia enters in the spotlight. I just she is striking, striking in this she episode. She looks incredible. Oh, and her little hair, oh, like gorgeous. the like romantic, like flirty updo it. with like the tendrils, so yes. pretty. I love that they always put her in like those really high slits because her legs are so beautiful and it just like elongates. And then Christmas, like Christmas, you can tell like she's just strong. She's got strong shoulders. Like she just looks amazing in that dress. So strong and beautiful. But, like, she doesn't look like she's in high school. No, 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 no. She, walks she does in. not look like she's in high school. This was, this was like, one of I'm the, just like, the very few scenes where I looked at her and I was like, you know what? This can't even be argued. You look like a woman. You know? Like, she's literally. She in. looks like yeah. she's going to, like, the Oscars or something. Like, <laughs> Yep. And every high schooler, who, pimply-faced high schooler who's watching this show when it comes out is like, dang, what's wrong with me? <laughs> No, dude, you're you're only 14. This woman is 28 or 29 here. You've got some time. The key word being woman. Yes, exactly. Wesley, like, choking. Saul says hot and then very hot. Oh, my word. He's such a creeper. <laughs> <laughs> Wesley's such a dweeb. He really but, like, he's just such a pathetic little <laughs> <He> dweeb. <is. laughs> it's hard. Like, he isn't, like... When you look at him, you just can't be gross. It's not like if Xander was to, I feel like I'd be grossed out by Xander. But Wesley is just like, he's just so pathetic that you just can't even be grossed out by it. You're just like, man, like. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing here? Like, what's going on? What's your plan? And then Willow and Oz. Oh, my gosh. Can they be any more precious? They're talking about like their prom picture. And okay, I low-key think that Oz is Buffy's like biggest supporter and fan. He's like, not gonna happen. She's like, you're not even a little nervous. He's like, you think Buffy's gonna let us down? Well, he's the only one who doesn't like go behind her back or like argue with her. So yeah. Unproblematic king. And then we have that beautiful moment between Cordelia and Xander where we discover. Oh, it's Xander who gave her or who bought her the dress. Um, And I feel like I I wrote down exactly what you said earlier, Leah. This episode just shows the best of everybody. And I think this moment between Xander and Cordy really brings out that between the two of them. Cordelia rarely shows humility (laughs) and rarely shows like yeah. a vulnerability and I feel like the the thank you that she gave to Xander was like very very genuine. But I oh, also yeah. feel like we've seen Xander and Cordelia at odds for so long. I mean even when they were dating they were at odds. And then he cheated on her and it's like just crazy. And so it's like it's nice just seeing both of them almost like lay down the gauntlet or whatever the frick that phrase is, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's like just kind of like both of them just acknowledging like Okay. They've like, come to an understanding. Yeah. And like it's peace. not like a yeah, it's not like a oh we like each other or oh we whatever. It's just a okay, like we recognize that we're both humans and we you know, have been through it and we're moving on. Yeah. I think it's important that they had them both with couples while they were talking to each other because you have been seeing this entire season like them both snipping at each other anytime the other person is in a relationship with someone else or is seeing someone else. So I think the fact that they're able to have a cordial conversation that's so sincere while with the they're both very clearly with someone else is just a very much a we're moving on and I love it. Fashion the Nerd also made a comment which I thought was really good. He talked about how this is the Xander from the Zeppo. 
Um, the fact that he did not go and shout from the rooftops, oh, I bought Cordelia's dress. I bought Cordelia's dress. The fact that he very quietly bought it for her didn't even like – he didn't even force her to mention anything about it. Like he didn't even go to her and say, hey, I bought you this dress. Like he did it in a way that he knew would be the least embarrassing for her. Um, and I think that that is the best of Xander, honestly. Yeah. It's a good way absolutely. to kind of like wrap up their – their thing. I mean, long overdue. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, it's been like <laughs> seven episodes that they've been broken up, and this is the first like decent interaction we've Great. got from them. Um, I think it's a great interaction. I love it. I just like wish it was sure. like sooner yeah. and more. I of. think this is the closest we'll ever get to an apology <laughs> in the weed inverse. You mm-hmm. know, so yeah. So then uh, Giles keeps looking to the door, waiting for Buffy to come in. Then we see Jonathan with his date, and she's taller than him, and I love it. Oh, Jonathan. I love how happy he looks. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) Leia is cracking up at me right now. (laughs) But I love that she's taller than him because, okay, and I – Prophecy Girls does a really good job of talking about (laughs) – I mean, all of them are going to be taller. I know, but – Sarah's like, I love that she's no, taller. No, let me go I'm like, do it. <laughs> everyone is going no, to No, let me be. explain. <laughs> no, um, Prophecy Girls has been doing a really good job of discussing how the show is not always great when it comes to body image. Um, and that's something that we haven't really talked a ton about, but it's kind of bothered me specifically with Jonathan and how they keep talking about his stature as that makes him like less of a man or that makes him whatever. And um, I have a quote from Danny Strong later that I'll read. Um, and I think that it, like even even in um, earshot at the very end, Buffy was like, "Oh, I'm not going to go to the prom with Jonathan because he's shorter than me," kind of thing. Like little like little things like that, where it's like you can have personal preferences, but like it doesn't make them any less of a human being or whatever. Like there's just a lot of put downs, and so um, I think that seeing that Jonathan's going with someone taller than him, I don't know. For me, I think that is so cool because it shows that like it really shouldn't matter. You know, at the end of the day, someone saw Jonathan and was like, hey, I want to go with you. And that Jonathan seems happy and like he seems like confident for the first time. I don't know. I just feel like it was a good moment, you know, even if maybe it was made for supposed to be for laughs, you know. All right. So Buffy uh, kicks open the door to Tucker's lair. And um, I just recently found this out. But uh, the guy who plays Tucker, Brad Kane, is actually the dude that sings for Aladdin in um in the in the movie, the Disney movie. Isn't that crazy? I actually knew that. And mm-hmm. on top of that, um, he previously worked with Sarah Michelle Gellar on the TV show Girl Talk back in 1989, and he will voice over another actor singing in a later episode of the series. Isn't that crazy? Oh. Oh, I can tell you what um, episode it is because it's not spoilers. Um, it's the episode um, Superstar. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So you guys can guess who. Yeah. We'll talk about it when we get there. So. All right. <laughs> Buffy. Sorry. New plan. The prom is a go and you're pathetic. Um, and so then Buffy looks over and sees all of the VHS play or the sees the VHS player and all of the like the tapes on top. And um, it's funny because one of the movies is called Pump Up the Volume, and it stars Seth Green and Juliet Lando, which is hilarious. So then Buffy discovers that he's actually let out like his best hellhounds as a contingency plan, but she takes care of Tucker. And then um, 
goes after the rest of the hellhounds, which I really love the comparison to both Tucker and Buffy because like you have that flashback and you're like, oh my gosh, what could it be that is like keeping him from wanting to enjoy the prom and like wants to inflict so much pain on everybody. And it's one rejection from one girl. It's not even like five girls. (laughs) It's just one. I kind of like that though, because I... A, I like that they didn't really develop like a full villain for sure. this episode because it really isn't right. about that. Um, but also, I just think it's funny because I think it it does show the fact that it's like they're at Sunnydale and sometimes like because they're at Sunnydale and they have access to stuff, some people are just going to be like stupid. <laughs> yeah. Right. And well, and it's a human too, a human who has a soul that is inflicting all this pain on other people. Like, And I think that's very – perfect for this season, which has dealt a little bit more into the darkness that is inside of humanity. It's not just demons, you know? Leah, I fully thought you were like not here. And then you spoke and I was just like, what? I did take a bathroom trip, but I'm back. Hello. (laughs) Sorry, everyone. I have a UTI and I have to pee when I need to go. So... (laughs) Unfortunately, <gasps> that is quite often at the moment. <laughs> I was like, where is she talking from? Feel free it. to, yeah, feel free to keep that in the podcast. <laughs> oh, I will. <laughs> Leah's my comedy relief. I, I get too weighty and heavy and then Leah comes in and is like, UTIs. <laughs> Hello? Just one. Oh, you're my comedy relief too, Tabby, but you're a good balance between the two of us. Like I'm one extreme, Leah's the other extreme, and Tabby's like a good like balancing factor between us. <laughs> okay, everyone laughs at me. Everyone mutes their mics and just laughs. <laughs> and all everyone can hear on the pod is like dead silence. <laughs> We're all laughing on mute. <laughs> yeah, I know. But yeah. everyone hears the silence. So all they're imagining is everyone just staring at me. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. So Buffy takes out the Hellhounds, admits the background noise of We Are Family, or was it not We Are Family? What's the other song that they were playing? And then Buffy's like, oh, this song sucks. I forget what it is. It's We Are Family. Is it We Are Family? Because I know Oz mentions it later on, but I didn't know if they we heard them playing I it. I can hear it in the background. I isn't feel it? like it is, but yeah, I don't remember. Oh, you know, it's not because I was thinking of We Are Family because, um, Oz says he got choked up while we are family. Yeah, was it's playing. another one. I don't remember. I love how they really add extra details in this fight that we don't normally see, like Buffy having to run and them chasing her and then them running away and then her having to like run all the way back. And it just looks like a normal girl just trying to like keep up versus her super speed. And then like her fighting off the one hellhound while that one guy comes out to use the bathroom. And then uh, and then we see her dragging the hellhounds over to go bury them, which I think is really interesting because normally with vampires, they just dust. She doesn't have to do this. But it's showing all of the stuff she does more work. on a daily mm-hmm, basis to keep everyone yep. so – I just love the extra little details. It adds to the the impact yep. of the very next – I thought about that. I was like, I love that it's not vampires. Um, not only is it kind of like a trope when it comes to prom like horror movies is having like random like demons or whatever. I think that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they kind of look like werewolves too, which is a little bit fun too. But right. I like the fact that they're not just like a puff – and then they're just gone. I like the fact that she really has to work at saving people because we usually see the vampire side of being a vampire slayer, obviously. But, I mean, obviously she's had apocalypses. 
but in an episode where she feels like she's, you know, drowning yeah. um, emotionally and personally and like everything and has had like zero recognition all season. Yeah. I love that we get to see a little bit of, of a struggle again in her slayerness before she gets the recognition. All right. So then Buffy pulls out her garment bag, which she kept in her weapons bag. It's just like Oh, it's so cute. Um, And then we have that beautiful moment when she walks in. It's like the spotlight on her and her dress. Okay. Do you guys love it? Because I know there's some people who don't love her dress. What? I know. Are you joking? No, I'm not it's joking. Stunning. It looks I thought, amazing I thought on we were her. Talking, when we were talking about she the practice so earlier, good. I thought we were talking about Buffy's. Oh, I was talking about the wedding dress. Oh. We were talking about Cordelia. Oh, I, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. oh, I thought you were talking about Buffy's wedding dress. I literally like a not wedding dress, a prom dress. It's so beautiful. Oh no, and she looks stunning in it. Yeah, I was talking about Cordelia's. I mean, that's amazing as well. But Buffy's, it's so her. Well, it's also the '90s, so it's like it. It's a beautiful '90s dress. I feel like I would wear that now. I don't know. It's just yeah, beautiful. I'd wear that now. Honestly, all three of the girls' too. dresses are like they're timeless. All of them are timeless. Yeah, they don't really feel like they. We're stuck in Our any aged. particular, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like Cordelia's looks more '90s than anything else, just because of the cut of it. But honestly, people are what? wearing that today. I feel like out of out of all really? dresses, I feel like Cord- Cordelia's is so modern right now, like the sparkles and the V, you and think like so. Okay, yeah, yeah. I agree with Tabby, but also it could also be like old Hollywood. It is, yeah. It's very classy. Yeah, mm. like it's. It's classy, yeah. I think the thing that I would change about Buffy's dress is the bottom hemming is a little bad. Like, it doesn't fit her at the bottom very well. That's the only thing. It's too long? Yeah, there's just a little bit too much material. But besides that, I think it's Mm. an amazing dress. Honestly, she could be wearing a garbage bag and she would look amazing like she just looks so yeah, beautiful can wear and whatever. her little like like oh. half up hair thing is so, so cute and her makeup like everything mm-hmm. looks amazing yeah and that color like the the pinkish the lilac. like it's so pretty is it pink or lilac mm, whatever color that is yeah i think it's lilac, lilac is, but lilac is a little too purpley this one's pretty pink beautiful Buffy's prom dress was designed by Pamela Dan- Dennis by request from Sarah Michelle Geller. Um, she actually could not sit down while she wore this dress, which is kind of crazy because it looks like it's roomy enough. But for some reason, she just couldn't sit down at all, which is so funny because I was like staring at it trying to be like, okay, well, where would it be too restrictive? But I don't know. I feel like it's maybe like like a corset underneath and it's the overlay. Oh. That's yes, it makes it look up. like it's yeah, because it's very yeah. like it looks like it's really clinging to her body, but then the outer layer is very like textured, which is yeah, like, it's that beautiful. would make sense. That would make sense, yeah, because like when, even when I like wore my wedding dress, they give you like a little bodice that basically holds the it dress looks very up. structured, yeah, yeah. it looks yeah, very yeah. stiff, which. Is why the dress is so well made because looking at it, it just looks so loose and effortless, but there's probably a lot going on to like hold it all up. Um, SMG says, we looked at Pamela Dennis's lookbook and we came across three that were our favorite. And then the executive producer and Pamela and everyone agreed that this was the one. And I even had the matching clip in my hair to match the brooch. And then she says, Allie just looks so beautiful and the men looked very handsome. So sweet. What about charisma jeez <laughs> <laughs> Allie looked really beautiful <laughs> that's, 
Tabby, you have to remember she didn't have any scenes with charisma. <laughs> she only has scenes with Allie, so it's quite possible that she wasn't on set the same time. Yeah, Tabby, maybe you shouldn't see her. Good grief, Taz. So salty. Was it, but wasn't there like time in between scenes so they could have talked and she would have no, seen they, what she looked like? No, it's quite possible that they had them on set at different times. Anyway. <laughs> Or maybe she just didn't care. I don't accept the answer. That's so rude. <laughs> maybe that's why, Tabby. Maybe she just did not care. That's so sad. How charisma looked. Um, there's an interview of Allie and Seth where Allie talks about how Seth keeps stepping on her train. And he says, I have huge feet and she has a long train. That's an accident waiting to happen. <laughs> All right, so Buffy sees Giles as she enters in. He catches her eye, nods. It's all taken care of. Giles nods back, quietly pleased. The script says, that's his girl. (laughs) So sweet. And then Willow spots Buffy, and then she's like, Buffy, you look awesome. And apparently when they were shooting all the scenes for the prom, it was actually um, drizzling and pouring rain. Like, it would alternate, and it made the makeup and the hair and costumes so difficult to navigate because all of the humidity and everything. Um, But they did a phenomenal job. Um, Apparently, the cast actually celebrated this as if it was their own prom because a lot of them were homeschooled and weren't actually able to have their own proms. I know Allie, Seth, and Sarah were all child stars, so they never had the high school experience. And so they used this to celebrate as their own prom day, which is just absolutely precious. So if they all celebrated, then when they see Charisma, <laughs> she was not a child star. She no, went but to when school. Buffy's on stage accepting like the award, we pan over to see Charisma, aka Cordelia, standing there. So like, do you not realize that they could film everybody else at a separate time as Buffy? Mm, unlikely. Unlikely. Okay. All right. <laughs> Whatever. Leia's like losing it over here. (laughs) Y'all right there, Leia? Tabby just doesn't, she's not going to accept this. It's rude, it's what it is, it's rude. It's not rude. Good grief. All of the behind the scenes photos, all the behind scenes photos are of Sarah, Allie, and Seth. I know, they're they're, they're Oz, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because they have that scene with the three of them, you don't you don't see Buffy come up to Charisma or Cordelia and be like, "Hey, Cordelia," you know. Anyway, whatever. Who cares? I'm like, <laughs> I need to defend Sarah. Wait, can you play out the scene? I want to. Yeah. See okay. It. All right. Can you make it up? I'm oh, I thought you meant this next one. <laughs> Hello, no, no. Charisma. It is me, Sarah, the big star of the show. I am. I think everyone. They're not even I as think their own everyone characters. Looks lovely here, except for you. <laughs> oh, how could you? there is that what you wanted (laughs) sure so they're doing the class award presentations and i absolutely die every time because as buffy's standing over at the punch bowl you have this guy that's like all right new award for class clown and then xander's over there like ooh, 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 ooh. and this dude we have never seen before that like he's like so flamboyant i'm like okay if he really was the class clown how like we would have seen him before no i love this because it really shows that (laughs) xander only thinks he's funny like no one else cares that's what i love about this is that xander really has gassed himself up so much and no one literally even knows him or thinks he's funny 
Best part of the episode. Here comes the wild Leah emerging Period. from her blanket cocoon to <laughs> crap on Xander again. <laughs> Oh, I love that Leah's just like, haha, we talking about Xander? Here I am. <laughs> I awaken. All right. And then, and then Jonathan takes the mic, says, We have one more award to give out. Is Buffy Summers here tonight? We're not good friends. Most of us never found the time to get to know you, but that doesn't mean we haven't noticed you. We don't talk about it much, but it's no secret that Sunnydale High isn't really like other high schools. A lot of weird stuff happens here. Zombies! Hyena people! Snyder! <laughs> but whenever there was a problem or something creepy happened, you seemed to show up and stop it. Most of the people here have been saved by you, or helped by you at one time or another. We're proud to say that the class of 99 has the lowest mortality rate of any graduating class in Sunnydale history. And we know at least part of that is because of you. So the senior class offers its thanks and gives you um, a, this. It's from all of us. And it has written here. Buffy Summers, class protector. Bro, that scene always, her little that face. Scene always gives me chills. Or just like her like face when like he says that and she like walks over and everyone's just looking at her. Oh, it makes my little heart happy because we we never see Buffy and we're even half as happy as this. Never. Literally never. And then people recognizing her on top of that. Like, I mean, even the first three seasons, we have gotten not even an ounce of that. So, like, it's so rewarding. The fact that they decided to gift her the sweetest, daintiest little umbrella, which a symbol of protection. It's, they didn't give her, like, a weapon. Like, if it were me, I'd be like, oh, let's give her, like, a sword or something. They give her an umbrella. Like, what a beautiful picture of someone that shields and protect. Like, they – those kids – not to crap on Joyce, but those kids intrinsically understand what Buffy goes through every day, I think, more than Joyce does. Um, and I just love that – like that they wrote like they talked about the write-in ballots like kids saw and recognized um and are appreciative and i don't know we've talked a lot about how mm -hmm. like leadership is so key in this season and how um it's a huge theme and how she uses her leadership to protect in contrast with homecoming where she used it to manipulate um and how like that was to kind of show like, oh, Buffy, you need to be a little bit more responsible and stuff and how she's just grown so much over the season and how it contrasts the mayor who constantly is using his power to manipulate people. Um, and again, guys, this moment, it's just like her wish and homecoming when she says she wants that one normal high school moment and experience and she gets that in this moment. It's just perfect. You said it perfectly, Sarah. I... I'm so glad you mentioned it too. Like the fact that they chose something that wasn't a weapon mm -hmm. because Buffy is not just something, she's not just a killer. Mm -hmm. And that is the theme that Buffy is trying to hold on to this whole mm -hmm. season because she sees that in faith and she's like, like slayers aren't murders. Mm -hmm. Um, and the fact that 
her schoolmates that don't really know her see that loveliness, that sweetness, that the other side of her that's a protector, mm-hmm. not a murderer. Um, even just like the umbrella, like just as a metaphor is so sweet, but also the fact that it's like pink and bedazzled is just like they get her, you know, even if they don't really talk to her. It's like she's not somebody who's bitter and just like angrily fighting everyone. She's somebody who's like protecting and someone who's empathetic and like the fact that i just love the fact that it's jonathan too and i know we've talked about that but it's just like especially two episodes after earshot um she didn't go up there and beat him and to make him stop she walked up there and she didn't even take the gun away she talked with him while he had the gun facing at her and spoke to him like a human being and and like related her heart to his heart and at the end gave him a choice to give a tour and he gave a tour. Like it that's just like the perfect way to handle a situation like that. Like just so well done. And like would she be wrong to grab the the knife or not the knife, the gun from him? No. But the way that she went about it just like shows her character. Also his whole we're not good friends, it echoes what she said to him in earshot. Um or he even said to her, um you know, he goes, we're not, why, why do you care? We're not friends. And I think Passion the Nerd makes the distinction of like, there's a recognition that you don't have to be friends in order to care about someone, in order to try to protect them, um, in order to try and get into their lives. And it's absolutely beautiful. Um, Danny Strong says this about this moment. He says, I feel like that moment in particular has gone down as one of the major moments in sort of the mythology of the series. I remember after it aired, someone told me that the monologue had made a friend of theirs cry. And I was like, oh my God, I was so overwhelmed because I was never a hot actor, physically hot nor hot in demand. It was never easy for me. It was always a struggle. And by struggle, I don't mean the work. I mean getting work. And so anytime anyone would say, oh, I saw you on Buffy and really liked it, it always was so meaningful to me. And that's from Into Every Generation by Cats. And I think, I don't know, I just absolutely love that something that Buffy does is it has created an avenue for even so-called, I use in quotations, average actors who aren't maybe like traditionally uh, pretty or attractive or all that stuff to have meaningful storylines and arcs that go somewhere. Um, And I think that speaks to the heart of the show that like, no matter who you are, you matter and you're important. And Buffy taught us all that. And so I just think this this moment is just beautiful. Like, I don't know if any of you guys remember the first time you saw this episode. I remember the first time I saw it. I, my jaw was on the floor because I didn't think we were going to have a moment where people recognized Buffy's identity. Like, you know, always know we talk about Spider-Man, but we're always waiting for that moment where all of a sudden everyone realizes, oh, Buffy was actually a superhero the entire time. But this, they knew the entire time. And this was like a very subtle way of them recognizing it without while also keeping her identity like under wraps and still in undercover in a way. The show does a good job of giving us these rewarding moments without making them too much. I think this episode could have easily felt like, okay, you're like overwhelming us with fan service, but no, it was done appropriately and well. And it just, I mean, it's just the payoff is just extremely rewarding after three seasons, you know? I don't remember the first time I saw it, but I mean, this scene makes me cry like every time I watch it. And I love what you said about like just the payoff. And it's funny because I have a few friends who watched Buffy for the first time um, recently. And 
a common complaint that I heard from all of them was, how does no one know what's going on? Why is no one asking questions? You know, all of these weird things are happening around them and they just kind of brush it off. And I'm just like, you've got to watch. Like, this just goes to show that, like, they did notice everything. And this was, like, such a perfect way to acknowledge that they noticed what what was going on around them. Um, And they saw Buffy and they saw what she was doing. And, you know, you have episodes like The Wish also where, you know, the characters don't know what's going on, but like we see how much of a difference that she makes. And even though it's like an alternate universe and it's only the audience that sees it, like this also reinforces that everyone around her sees it too. And it's just like so beautiful. And like you guys said, I love the umbrella because it's, it's not a weapon because Buffy is not a weapon. She, her strength is that she feels Mm -hmm. for others and she she protects the people around her because she cares. And I think this episode showcases that so well. Like she's willing to put aside her heartbreak and her despair to like give the people around her this perfect moment. And it's just like, this was like paying her back like tenfold. Like this was the perfect, like, thank you to her. I love the zoom ins on Giles's proud face the entire time. I just, ah, I can't take it. It's beautiful. All right, so the party continues. <laughs> we have this line, Mr. Giles, I'd like your opinion. And then uh, the slow dance, Anya, this isn't so bad. <laughs> Xander's like, thanks. <laughs> um, and then Giles approaches Buffy. You did good work tonight, Buffy. And he said, I had no idea that children and masks could be so gracious. And she says, every now and then people surprise you. And then Giles sees something behind Buffy and it says every now and then. And I'm really – okay, I'm curiously. I think you have something to say about this moment with Giles and Angel. Yeah, I just – I feel like it's – Giles feels like pride. Like he's just very like genuinely happy that Angel showed up because I just feel like – like I said earlier, like I think that Giles has very conflicting – conflicted feelings toward Angel because of everything that's happened. But I I truly think that Angel choosing to, you know, take the burden on of like the breakup and and leaving and giving Buffy the chance for a normal life. I think that Giles really respects that. And I think that when Angel shows up, that like makes Giles respect Angel even more that he's willing to like show up for Buffy, even though he's now made this really hard decision to walk away from her. And it's just, I just think it's beautiful. Like, I just feel like, I don't know if everybody reads it that way, but it's like, it's almost like Giles has come to terms with like, you know, his conflicting feelings toward Angel. And like, it's just a beautiful moment. I don't know if I'm making any sense, but yeah. (laughs) I don't even know if it's that Giles comes to terms with anything. I think it's just... Giles has always known how much Angel means to Buffy. And I think he's happy that he's seeing that he saw Angel show up in a moment that was so important for Buffy. And I think that in this moment, Giles is very much not thinking about himself, not thinking about his pain and is just like grateful that Angel's doing something right. And I think it's because Angelus has done so much wrong in the past that that's why he's saying like, you know, sometimes or Stuff like that. But I really just think that Giles is happy for Buffy. And he's happy that she gets this moment. And then the script says, 
Buffy follows his gaze, turns to see Angel, immaculate in a tuxedo, walking towards her. Oh my goodness. David Boreanaz does a fantastic job of just like putting his heart in his eyes. Like all I just see is heart eyes when he walks towards Buffy. But there's just like so much longing. They both know this is the last moment they're going to have and they just absolutely treasure it. I love the I love the conversation they have where he says, it's a big night. I didn't want to miss it. It's just a night. It doesn't mean, and she interrupts him and she says, I know. I mean, I understand. And I think that distinction is like, it's heartbreaking, but it also makes sense because she understands why, even if she hasn't come to terms with it. And I think that's just, I don't know, man. The writers are just too good at their jobs here. I feel like this detail detail gets overlooked when like Giles says like oh every now and then and Buffy turns around he subtly like grabs the umbrella from her hand and so she doesn't even like notice and it's like so subtle but it's just like him just kind of being like I got you like just like taking it away from her so she can have her little moment without having to worry about anything else and I just kind of like to view it as like for like a moment of like her being happy and her being an actual teenager like the weight of being the slayer mm. in a physical form. Like Giles is like, let me take that for you for a second. Like I always kind of like in my head canon, I like to think that's like a little nod to that. Like her having like having her moment of like being just Buffy and the love for life are dancing together. Yeah. Without having to worry about anything slayer like. Mm-hmm. That's really beautiful. I've never thought about it that way. That's like so true. Yeah. The, the script says – Giles, he steps gracefully away, taking the umbrella with him as she stands there, eyes locked on Angel. So yeah, they intentionally like meant for Giles to do that. But that's that's really cool tabs. I like that. I like that idea, that imagery. Um, it says there is great meaning to that that is not lost on Angel. They look at each other, their burdens lifted slightly, their pain not gone, but mellowing, words unsaid. Angel, will you dance with me? He has to ask. She folds into his arms, head on his breast, closes her eyes. They dance. And I wanted to read for you guys the lyrics of Wild Horses, which plays in the background because it's like almost too perfect for the scene. Um, It says, childhood living is easy to do. The things that you wanted, I bought them for you. Graceless lady, you know who I am. You know I can't let you slide through my hands. Wild horses couldn't drag me away. I watched you suffer a dull aching pain, and now you've decided to show me the same. No sweeping exits or offstage lines could make me feel bitter or treat you unkind. Wild horses couldn't drag me away. Faith has been broken and tears must be cried. Let's do some living after we die. Wild horses couldn't drag me away. Wild, wild horses will ride them someday. That's so sad. It is so sad. <laughs> what did you think they were saying? <laughs> I, every time I, when I read the line that was talking about faith has been broken and tears must be cried and then let's do some living after we die. It reminds me of the poem that I read back in Helpless that I believe Angel Dog Eared where it talks about I'll love you even better in death. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's just beautiful. It's heartbreaking and it's everything that we love about Angel. <laughs> Oh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer loves just death. You and know? I just honestly, the, the part of it that kills me the most is that like when she like looks up at him, it's just like chemistry. Like it's like that, you know, the invisible thread the where warmth. like she looks up at him and he looks down mm-hmm. at her and it's just like 
it's just like they just flow together and it's like it's like they're they're not even Sarah and David at that point. They're like Buffy and Angel and it's just so beautiful. Like just oh, they do stairs like so well, I think, and it just makes the scene even like 10 times better. Like it's oh my god, it's a, it's amazing. They fully immerse themselves in their characters to the point where like and I think especially on Sarah's part, she's able to embody Buffy so much. Like um I, I was reading Katz's book and he was talking about how the way Sarah talks about Buffy is he, she talks about her as like a third person. Like to Sarah, Buffy is a living, breathing thing. Like she knows obviously she's a character, but like she cares for her. And that's why she sobs because she knows what it's going to mean to Buffy when Angel leaves. Like, ugh. And that's what made the character. That's why Sarah is the only one that could play Buffy and David's the only one that could play Angel. Like it just all came together, lightning in a bottle. Well, that was it. Now that we're all like, you know, emotionally rent and all ready for graduation day, parts one and two, the finales. Can't believe it. Um, thanks so much for joining us, Leah. This was an absolute blast. And obviously, we have a lot more to come. Thanks for having me. And I'm so excited to do Angel with you. I think it's going to be so fun. I'm sad that Angel's leaving, but I'm also like, but we still get to talk about him. So it's going to be good. We're going to go on a journey with him now and it's going to be like really great. I hope that we can like show people like a new side of Angel that they, I feel like a lot of people write off Angel a lot and I feel like it's our job to make them see like the true angel. Yeah, no, I totally agree. <laughs> you get a huge side of him on the show Angel mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, and kind of like what Tabby was talking about, has as like a viewer, like do the work and and sometimes mm-hmm. it's hard um, and sometimes things slip through the cracks. And so I love that as a podcast, we're going to get the chance to do that work and hopefully make it a little bit easier for people to love and to see Angel for how we see him and I think how the show portrays him to be. It's going to be really, really fun. So... Yeah. But until then, guys, graduation day next week. Um, Our brother David's going to be back with us, which is going to be so much fun. And then we have part two. And then, yeah, lots of good stuff to come. So let us know, guys, what you guys think of the prom. Do you ball every time Jonathan hands that umbrella? Because I do without fail. Oh, my gosh. I cry like four times during this episode. Right. I know. It's never ending. It's so good. (laughs) Balling. (laughs) It's like gut-wrenching sadness and then like the most happy I've ever felt while watching Buffy at the same time. It's like whiplash. It's like the most whiplash episode. (laughs) But it's like to see Buffy kind of heavily go through it and like just so many other levels throughout the episode and then just like her payoff. I'm just like, this is why you watch shows like this. It's like, it's real and it's like comforting because it's so real at the same time. You know, you don't feel alone because this person also feels heaviness. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another reason why I tell people, yeah, Joss Whedon is an absolute prick, <laughs> but these characters breathe on their own now. They're their own things. So. All right, guys, that's it. That's the prom. Don't forget to uh, let us know your thoughts on it. You guys can find us on Instagram, on TikTok, on Tumblr at Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. That means the world to us. And we will see you guys next week.